Hey there, and welcome to episode 11 of Dudes Being Dudes, the podcast, which is presented by Knocking Point Wines in Studio 71. And I don't even know if you're going to hear intro music today because I'm doing the intro right now. It is Thursday. It is the 21st of April. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, joined by our producer and buddy and longtime Knocking Point friend and collaborator, Zacho Albright, who came up with this amazing idea that on the podcast, we are doing um, Q&As where we're taking live audio questions from people. Now, they're able to phone a number and submit a question or make a pitch or just wise us up to some cool business or nonprofit or all of those things. And that is a long way from where we were in January of 2013. Zacho, are you positive that it's January of 2013 and not 2014? I'm positive. I say it's based off of an email and Facebook posts. Okay. So in January of 2013, I thought that it would be a really cool idea as my Facebook page was growing to put out a post saying, Facebook, ask me some questions. And I remember some years later, I would do this and I would do it sort of Bill Simmons style where it would be like a mailbag and I would be answering questions in in live time. But for this, this was a video. And I reached out to Zacho and said, can you comb through all of the questions that have been asked? And can you find someone, find, find someone, find some for me to answer and put them together. It was one of the first times actually that Zacho and I did a work together. So he has uh, gotten the original email that I sent him back in January of 2013. And we are going to go over those questions again, nearly a decade later. Before we get into this relatively evergreen episode of Dudes Being Dudes, that's going to come out later this evening, probably, from our friends at Studio 71, I wanted to just go over a few things. Um, Zacho, to get your opinion. Uh, Number one, these these are going to come off as random, but they're just things that I had in my notebook that I wanted to go over. Um, What's your opinion on chocolate milk, Zacho? I I love it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also don't want, I don't want anything to do with it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, basic chocolate milk is really, really good, but it, it can, if, if you're not eating a lot of dairy, it can destroy your gut. There are some really good products out there right now. There's just one product called Ripple, which by the way, does not endorse me. They're welcome to, because I use the shit out of their product, but um, they make like a, a a chocolate milk that's plant-based, so it doesn't actually have any dairy in it. It's got a little protein, but by God, does it ever taste like chocolate milk? And I put it occasionally in what would otherwise be deemed as a very healthy protein shake. What do you think of this practice? Because I personally, Cass makes fun of me, but I really, I think I'm onto something. No, I think that that sounds good. I'd say 99% of the time when I have you know what we're we're deeming chocolate milk here it's in a protein shake which Mm -hmm. is like you know with protein powder and uh cacao 
almond milk or mm-hmm. um, yeah, I usually use almond milk. So I guess that's chocolate milk in a sense. Um, I love the old school, like Nesquik with the rabbit, like the little, yeah, the, the stuff you get at the grocery store uh, on the way out for the ride home. That's like, mm-hmm. that's what I call it. But you know, if, if I'm ever trying to watch my calories or, or sugar and that kind of stuff that's not that's not where you want to go well that's one of the things that i was bringing up is that i'm doing all this training right now and there's so many good avenues and outlets that that happen because of training number one and i know that you got yourself in really good shape over the um or or made a commitment to fitness so to speak over the over the pandemic and i think you got a peloton right and did all you did all the kind of basic things but you followed through on them so the first thing that I would say, best thing about getting in getting in shape is clothes. Just clothes just fit you better, right? Yeah. I can tell if I'm in good shape if I want to go shopping or not. If I want to go shopping, that means <laughs> I'm in good shape. If I don't want to go shopping, it means that I could probably spend some time in the gym. Um, I find it I find exercise to be really, 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 really important to me for my mental health. Not that it will make me feel better if I exercise, but if I don't, I can become incredibly ir- irritable. A lot of, lot of things that I've, that I've learned about myself. But I think one of the most important things is that exercise gives you, in my opinion, the ability to indulge a little bit, if you understand what I mean. I'm not a huge believer in cheat meals. I personally think that, that Dwayne Johnson is fucking with all of us on Instagram. I don't think he eats any of that shit. But, uh, and I would probably tell that to his face if he were standing here. Actually, you know what? Now that I think of it, probably not. Um, but I, I don't believe in a cheat meal, but I also believe in not totally abstaining if you're putting in hard work in the gym. If you're not giving yourself a little something back, then I don't understand the whole point of it. So yeah, that's it. I agree. That's sort of the the route that I've I've gone on. It's that, yeah. you know, if you're if you're doing the work, and you want to have this, have it. Don't have it every night. Hundred percent. Have a beer. Like have a beer. Like d- seriously. Like it's one of the one of the best times to have a beer. Like a. You know what? I need to get back to drinking beer every once in a while. Like hot day, exercise, cold beer. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down as a goal and objective in my book. I think. Hey, have you seen the video of Mike Tyson feedbagging the guy on the plane? I have. Yeah. Okay. So for those that haven't seen it, Mike Tyson gets up on a commercial flight. He's sitting in first class and, uh, and he just turns around and he feeds uh, seven or eight short right hands to the guy who's sitting behind him. And I saw this and my initial thought is, hey, Iron Mike, but then TMZ has an addendum at the top of it that this man was extremely intoxicated and wouldn't leave Iron Mike alone. And attached to it is a photo that his buddy has taken of him before, clearly before they've even taken off. And he's sitting behind Tyson and he's given the thumbs up and you can see Tyson looking at him like, really dude? Like you're clearly 35 years old at a, at a minimum. You've bought a first class ticket. Act like you've fucking been here before. Are you really going to have your buddy snap a photo of me giving a high five or excuse me, a thumbs up from across the aisle? When you add in that photo and you add in the fact that that there's a note from TMZ saying this guy was clearly extremely intoxicated, 
theoretically, this guy has grounds for some type of lawsuit against Mike Tyson or against maybe the airline. But if you were his buddy, seeing what the evidence is, purely from a buddy standpoint, not from like a financial potential financial windfall standpoint, but purely from a buddy standpoint, what's your advice to this guy? Well, my his buddy not not only threw him under the bus by recording the whole thing, he backed up over him and then he then he did an interview with TMZ and said, "Yeah, man, this guy, he was just a little overexcited because he's never met a celebrity before." Um, wow. And he everything you mentioned, and I don't think I, I don't think that anyone should ever get punched in the face ever. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, so, something we just went through with Will Smith and and that whole thing. But if ever there was like evidence shown in the courtroom that someone needed needed a couple, this guy hanging up over Mike Tyson's seat and you know bothering him. Yeah. Is, is not going to help the case. Yeah. You've got one chance to this guy out there. If, if you're listening for whatever reason, you've got one chance to not come off like a complete fucking douchebag. You have one chance. Now, as a guy that got asked to get off a plane recently, okay, there, I've got the playbook, my friend. Okay. And there's two steps to the playbook. Okay. Number one, don't do it in the first place. Don't get wasted on a plane period, especially in this day and age with camera phones and this. For me, I didn't want to get into it, but just don't do it in the first place. But if you do do it, you have to accept responsibility for it uh, fully and totally. And you have to apologize. You have to actually say, I was being a total fucking loser and I drank too much. And life will go on. It will. But anything short of that, uh, Anything short of that is not good enough, period. Okay, Zacho, as I was talking about, you and I are both big golf fans and you have the good fortune right now of, of being on the West Coast as a sports fan because as, as, as you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, having to wait until one o'clock in the afternoon for NFL games to come on on the East Coast is just paralyzing. It's awful, it's terrible. 10 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast, you're not getting up any earlier than 8.30 on a Sunday morning. And even if you're an early riser, you're having your coffee, but you're getting into the countdown to kickoff window by 8.30, 9 o'clock. Out here, it's a different story. And I'm at home right now. And what I've hoped for and wanted all of my life is, hey, a golf tournament's going on from Thursday to Sunday. Can you guys just show the entire thing, please? Okay. When the tournament starts at 7 a.m., start showing it. And keep it on the air until the last guy has played through. And forever and ever and ever, it didn't happen. And then magically, one day, ESPN Plus came along. Have you delved into hitting on that main feed button at like, oh man, I guess you could have been watching it this morning in LA at 5 a.m. Yeah, I 5 a.m. is probably never going to happen for me. But... Mm -hmm. For the Masters, uh, the yeah. first couple days, I think Tiger teed off at seven something. West Coast time. Yeah. yeah. And so because Thursday and Friday are work days, mm-hmm. I'm, it's easier for me to, I don't usually get up at, you know, before eight, but knowing that he was teeing off at seven 30, 
I was able to get up and do seven thirty. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to the weekend, you know, he was a, he was kind of getting out of contention, and uh, so I didn't push it. But it's it's definitely nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, every other sport possible yeah. football for sure, college football. Then you know, the the best part about it too is not only waking up early, but that Sunday night game or even golf, it ends at 2 PM. It ends at 3 PM. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you're not, you're not dipping into the night. If you want to go run errands, you want to do whatever. I just think to, that for golf, for golf in particular, I don't know why it took so long, but kudos to ESPN plus for, um, for, for finally, for finally filling this gap. I mean, yeah. you've got the commentators there. You have the cameras there. You're filming this stuff in case, so-and-so hits a, it's a hole in one on hole two in the second round if they tee off early. They have footage of it. And the fact that it wasn't put on TV until this now, until just now, is remarkable. But you know, all's well that ends well. Hey, are you watching winning time? No, not yet. Really? Wow. Okay. As a basketball I, fan, that really surprises me. Although you are in for a real treat because you're gonna be able to take the first. 10 episodes once they're all done. I think they're through seven now. I assume, I think it's 10 and you're going to be able to watch them all at once. And it is unfucking believable. Yeah. It's, it's one of those where I didn't start it when it came out and mm-hmm. then it got, you know, a few got by and I'm like, well, now I'm just going to watch them all when it's done. Um, mm-hmm. So I've heard good things about it. It's not, I'm not avoiding it for any I'm, that I'm not interested in it, but yeah, uh, yeah, I just haven't yet. Well, did you see that Jerry West is demanding a retraction before he becomes litigious for the depiction of his character? I did. So okay. now, I'm now that's funny to begin with, Zacho. But trust me when I tell you, once you see the show, the fact that this has happened uh, becomes just, I mean, it is. Yeah, so, I, thought, I, I, think, I think it was a PR stunt if I didn't know better. But the fact that Jerry West, who is... They literally have this graphic, or I guess John C. Riley in the first episode. It's not not really a spoiler. Says Jerry West uh, and puts the Chiron on the screen, and underneath it says "Never been happy." <laughs> and John C. Riley goes, "Jerry West, gentleman of the game, to everyone that hasn't met him." <laughs> and then he just starts dropping all these f bombs everywhere and whipping golf clubs and. He is, Jason Clark does a masterful job. The performances are so good. Jason Clark, Adrian Brody, John C. Riley, the dude who plays, oh shit, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, whose name I don't have at my disposal right now, um, is, uh, the performances are great. Aside from one performance, which is just absolutely god-awful and I don't want to get into it, but um, in any event, I'm excited for you to watch it. Let me know when you start. So um, I was going to get into, I was going to ask you about the Batman and I talked about it a little bit on TikTok Live, which I'm really enjoying because I went over all these subjects on TikTok Live. And um, I'm not going to really expound upon it. I'm just going to say the following. First, first of all, have you seen it? Nope. Okay. Well, two things. I, I think it's a really, really, really good movie. And I didn't like it at all because my expectation of what the movie was going to be relative to what it ended up being. And again, I'm just going to keep saying this so that people don't aggregate me. Uh, It's a really good movie. But imagine you were sitting down to watch a goofy Will Ferrell comedy 
and a porno came on the screen. Like it, like the gap, the gap was that big. Or if you're, I mean, the more apt example is like, you think you're going to go watch an action movie. Oh, you know what? I have the perfect example. Do you remember the advertising that they did for the original Deadpool? It was because it was coming out on Valentine's Day. Yeah. And they did one poster about Deadpool and they, they framed it like it was going to be a romantic comedy in order to in order to actually get people into the theater. Now, imagine if you were really stupid and you didn't realize that they were doing this. You had no idea what Deadpool was. The name didn't give it away. And you actually went with your boyfriend or girlfriend and thought that you're watching a romantic comedy and got Deadpool. That's what that's the that's the chasm between what I thought I would be getting with the Batman and what I got. So unbelievable. I, I don't necessarily know what you thought you were going to be getting, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know if you if you said or anything. But to me, so th- I have such a weird like taste in movies or or whatever, especially yeah, when it I comes mean, to su- superhero movies. Like I'm, you know, I've not seen most of them. Um, mm-hmm. I am interested in in this Batman, but I think it's because I didn't really care for the Dark Knight, Christian Bale, the Heath Ledger, the Nolan, like, the Nolan trilogy yeah, I, world begins. I, Dark I Knight, think, Dark Knight Rises. I think that they were. I mean, obviously, I'm sure they're great movies. They mm-hmm. people love them. Um, I I'm just not interested. I'm when it comes to Batman, I love Batman Forever. I love Batman. Uh, and Robin that era. Yep. Um, yep. so I kind of feel like, Oh, I haven't seen this one yet. If it's, if it's pissing off the, the Christopher Nolan fans, <laughs> oh, then you might watch this, it. You might this, this, is watch the movie, it. this is the movie for me. So you throw Robert Pattinson in and here we go. Well, I mean, as someone that, I mean, I, I didn't know you when the original twilight came out, but I need, I knew you by the time the final two movies came out, both of which you saw at midnight on opening night. Yeah, probably with the one before it starting at 10 p.m. <laughs> diving right into the, the next one. When I when the first when the when Twilight the first one came out on uh, DVD, I, which DVD, so that tells yep. you where we're at. Um, yep. I bought it. I had never seen it yet. I just bought it at Target. I was like, oh, I'll give it a watch. Um, sent sent talia my wife she was not my wife at the time like a picture of the the dvd and i was mm-hmm. like this you should watch this movie it's pretty good she, and she called me you know every name in the book why are you watching that movie and uh by like a week later she saw it and she was like when does the next one come out and, when <laughs> the so, and then you guys were married just yeah. like that um, oh man uh, okay, so last last thing on the Batman. All you need to know is who's the biggest Bat fan? That, bat, bat fan. Who's the Bat fan? Who's the biggest Batman fan that we know? Robbie. My 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 cousin Robbie. Silly Happy Uncle birthday. Bob. Happy birthday, Silly Uncle Bob. We should have Silly Uncle Bob on the podcast once we have more Code Eight news. Actually, so he's the biggest Batman fan that we know, and you didn't even have to search for that answer. Guy loves Batman. He he's all. He loves Batman. I texted him about it. I said, I'm watching the Batman. He goes, I haven't seen it. I said, wait, what? He goes, I haven't seen it. I said, you haven't seen the new Batman movie? He goes, no. I said, why? He said, well, why were you texting me during watching it? 
And I said, I was texting you to make sure that you were okay. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> four or five different people who I really trust texted me right when the movie came out and said, you specifically do not want to go watch this movie. So I haven't seen it. That is mind blowing to me. And again, I would just like to say, it's a really good movie. I just didn't like it. And with that, we get to the point of this podcast, which is exact date, Zacho? January 19th, 2013 was the, the date that the collections were collected. Okay, on January 19th, 2013, I was, for context, we, I asked Facebook to send me some questions. Now, for context, I was approximately, I was either filming episode 14, not 14, 15 or 16 for the first season of Arrow. I was actually looking at the calendar and um, Casp was pregnant at this point, but we didn't know it. Uh, reverse engineering that one. It's quite possible that Mavi was conceived within about a week of collecting these, uh, collecting these, these, uh, these questions from Facebook. Uh, Cassandra and I had just gotten married. I was living in a loft in Gastown in Vancouver and was in the process of moving my stuff all over to her place. And we were starting some renovations on that, which became our place. And, 2013. I mean, at this point, you had seen, as a viewer, you had seen nine episodes of Arrow. You had just found out that Malcolm Merlin was the Dark Archer. Uh, I was uh, handling relatively well the the stress and strain of the first season of a television show. But uh, apparently, I found the time to to take some questions um so you again for historical context barry was in his second term as president of the united states uh you know tiktok didn't exist instagram hadn't been acquired by facebook to the best of my knowledge it was a, it was a, it was wild and wacky times zach so what, Do donald trump was doing the whole bertha thing at that time <laughs> you you had an interesting post that week uh so okay. this was the week where Arrow came back from hiatus after, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I assume, winter, Christmas. And uh, you in said- In terms of airing, in terms of airing episodes. Airing episodes. So episode right. 10 was about to air, like you said, and you, you post. So it'd probably be smart to keep your next seven consecutive Wednesdays free. Episode mm -hmm. 10 through 16 are enough social activity for you. Trust me. Mm -hmm. so episode you, 16 was one of our, episode 16 was one of our very, very- very best episodes. It was directed by Glenn Winter. And it was the episode where I reveal myself to Tommy. But that was the episode, just thinking back to it, that Glenn introduced transitions between the present day and the flashbacks. And, you know, there aren't a lot of episodes from the first season of Arrow that I'd want to go back and watch, you know, off the top of my head. It'd be fun to watch the first three episodes, less the second, but the, the third Lone Gunman, I really liked. And then episode nine, episode 14, episode 16. Those were episodes that really resonated for me. Um, but yeah, cool, cool. Seven consent. Wow. We were on for seven consecutive weeks. That's neat. Yep. Neat. 
I also forgot to ask you one question, but we'll save it for next time. We wanted to talk about mania moments, but you know what? That, that's a long enough discussion that we'll save it for next time. So, sure. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay, so on January 6th, just, just to kind of also take this back into uh, context of time, Knocking mm-hmm. Point posted on Facebook. Hmm. Very exciting news about the winery coming this week. So mm-hmm. I'll get well, into what context, that was. Sure. Well, for context there, uh, over the Christmas break, Cass and I got married in St. Bart's and either a couple of days before that or a couple of days after that, no, it was a couple of days after Christmas, Drew and I got left at this beach bar where I did an Instagram post from or some type of post when I was there over the break. Um, Drew and I got left at this bar and that was where Knocking Point was conceived of. We transferred money into a joint account. We created a Facebook page, a Twitter handle. We got in touch with Drew's sister and said, yeah, this is what we're thinking of doing. It's going to be based on a Walla Walla. So at that point in time, we were probably you know, into the process of becoming licensed as, as a winery. Right. So, so yeah, cool yeah, you're just a few weeks into like this account. So it's probably one of the first posts. Um, yep. and so the, one of the first questions from this Q and a came, came from Andrea Lee Lamont and mm-hmm. she asked you and your friend drew are co-founding a winery knocking point wines. Mm-hmm. Question one, are you a wine connoisseur? Question two, what's your favorite wine? And question three, pair it with a cheese. So, First, first thing I want you to do is, is think about what you would have said back then um, mm-hmm. to those questions. I and am. then, you know, maybe if that's changed now, obviously, you, you know much more about wine. Uh, and mm-hmm. then I'll tell you what that big announcement was after you answer. Okay. So back then, I would have definitely said no to being a wine connoisseur. And I rem- the answer remains no, I'm not. I, I actually think that one of the, one of the, one of the things that I bring to knocking point, which is a value add, is I don't get too far into the ins and outs of wine, which allows me to make decisions. There's no paralysis by analysis here. I drink what I like and what I think tastes good. And I don't give a shit what it is, right? So there might be some wine people that are like, oh, you would never. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Is it good? Because if it is, I'm in. If it's not, Whatever, like some people hate Merlot. Why do they hate Merlot? The majority of people hate Merlot because of what Paul Giamatti said in Sideways, okay? Some Merlot could be fucking great. And so I I have no preconceived notions about wine. I'm not a wine connoisseur and I remain not a wine connoisseur. I probably would have said Cabernet Sauvignon at the time for red and it remains Cabernet Sauvignon. But that's more of like a, I think that that now has shifted to give me a real good, a really, really good red blend. Um, you know, I like something with a little bit of a body to it. I like a little bit of a sweetness, which I think a lot of wine connoisseurs would be like, oh, eh. well, fuck off. I do. And for cheese at that time, I was not eating any cheese at all, even a little bit, but I probably would have said brie. Uh, Cause I really like, I really like brie and I, I still like brie. That, I mean, that's, those are, those are great answers. And I, Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of what we've built, you know, this brand off of mm-hmm. is that, that you and Drew and, and myself and everyone involved is not out here claiming to be a connoisseur. And it's mm-hmm. exactly what you said. If you like it, 
drink it. Like we're going to make good stuff that we think you'll like. Um, and that's important right. to us. Right. I mean, getting back to the early days and the, the early days of knocking point when it would come to the new wines that we were making, the process of picking those wines, we've told this story before, but it bears repeating would be, we'd have a bunch of people over. We would take all the samples that, that, that were sent and we would do blind taste testing and we would have a blast and we would laugh about it. And then, you know, we would, we would boil it down to a favorite and then Drew and I would make the final call. And oftentimes we would take the two that we like knowing that this was an option and we'd, we'd, we'd blend them together like that. It, there's no science to it. It was like, what tastes best? That, that, that's how we did it. And we did that not knowing at all, at least I didn't, what the varietals were, period. You can sure. shit, whatever tastes best. Um, real quick, this is funny because it's just happened to me, but speaking of blending it all together, when I was uh, on vacation last, I was at a restaurant uh, mm-hmm. ordering... And I ordered, I tried to order a rosé at dinner and mm-hmm. I've heard of, I've heard of this happening to people before, but I've never seen it. I know, I know what's no. happening, right? I know what's and happening. And the waitress said, we don't, we don't have rosé, but would you like me to mix a red and a white for you? And I said, yeah, no, thank you. I'll take a Bacardi yeah. diet. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that happened to Cass at Saddle Ranch on the Sunset Strip. She tells this story yeah. all the time. She ordered yeah. a rosé. Yeah. Like, I've heard her tell We don't have, ro- have rosé, but I'm a wine connoisseur. And I'll just mix you one up. And Cass goes, I'm sorry, what? I'll just mix you one up. We've got light red, beautiful Chardonnay over here. I'll be right back. Cass like, no, 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 no. I'll take some tequila. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those urban legends and now it's happened to me. So, yeah. Um, so the big announcement for knocking point came on January 20th, the day mm-hmm. after we, we asked these questions. Can uh, I make a guess? Sure. Is it? Is it just that we're going to be bottling 125 cases of, of wine that's going to eventually be for sale? No, it's simply a photo of the sketch by Jim Lee that would go yeah. on to become year one, uh, the year one bottle. Very cool. Wow. Yeah, Jim, Jim did a real solid for us there. I mean, that being said, I think he threw that fucking drawing together in like five minutes. Probably. And I'd tell, I'd, 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 I'd <laughs> ask him that if we were here. Cause it was one of those, like, I got in touch with him. Like, Hey Jim, would you consider doing this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No problem, man. Really cool. I will. And then, and then it came around like, Hey Jim, how's that drawing going? And I, I got the feeling it was one of those like, Oh shit. Like when you're driving to a birthday party for someone, you realize you forgot a gift. So you stop off at the yeah, local yeah. CVS <laughs> and grab something. Now that being said, it's, he's Jim Lee. So the drawing's awesome, but right. you know, at the same time, the guy was left-handed. I don't want to talk about it. It's it's pretty good. I'll keep it. Like the best of us. The best of us. <laughs> Are you left-handed, Zacho? Yep. Okay. Um, cool. So moving on to question number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sorry, sorry about the name if you're listening. Uh, Cordobesa Pervers. Mm-hmm. She said, Stephen, at the Golden Globes, you were spectacular. Are you a man who is careful and takes time to get ready? Or do you just wear the first thing that you pick up? So the Golden Globes happened a week prior to this. Um, yes, it did. You were wearing a black tuxedo and there's a picture of you and Eva Longoria on your Facebook that you posted that she was a lovely, interesting, inside joke knowing individual. Um, was the photo and- taken 
uh, on the red carpet or was the on photo red taken carpet, in the ballroom? I believe on the red carpet at a WB party, probably. Hmm. Well, she is. Eva, first of all, there's a lot of people that you meet in person and they're not a lot of celebrities that you see in person and they're, they are it, sometimes mildly disappointing. And I'm not, always, I'm not talking about looks, but they're either shorter or they have features that really pop on screen that in person, they just look a little strange. It, it, strange. It can just be discombobulating sometimes to meet celebrities in person. But then there are other times where you see a celebrity in person and you knew that they were beautiful on screen, but then you see them in person, you're like, holy fuck, this person is dropped at gorgeous. And Eva Longoria falls into the latter category. Now, uh, again, I was just, Cass and I just recently got married, so I'm sure I was on my very, very best behavior. But yeah, she was absolutely gorgeous. She, along with that tuxedo, were the highlight of the Golden Globes for me. Also, I ended up taking a leak next to Mandy Patinkin. Uh, that, was, that was actually probably the number one highlight for me personally, because the, otherwise they were a disaster. I got sat with the cast of The Big Bang Theory and, and Chuck Lorre, who's the showrunner there. And even though I knew one of the cast members, they wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. Would you want one random person from another show? Sit, like if we were going and doing the fantasy football draft and like, and like one wife who hated fantasy football was sitting there the entire time, would that take away from the enjoyment a little bit? Uh-huh. Yeah, huh. Yeah. And no one from no one wanted me there. <clears throat> I, first of all, I didn't want to go there. It was an NFL playoff weekend. Okay, I wanted to watch the games, and WB insisted that I go because I don't know. They just they just they just they just wanted me to go, and I was actually just did um, the New Girl podcast. Uh, welcome to our show with with Zoe Deschanel and Hannah Simone and Lamar Morris a couple of days ago. I, that episode's going to air way down the road. But I, she was saying to me, because we were we brought up the Golden Globes, she's like, you should have come and sat with us. And I said, retrospectively, I actually should have come and sat with you guys, like if I had known. Uh, and then fast forward many, many years later, and WB had a spot at the Golden Globes for a presenter. And I had said to my people, after not the Golden Globes, but I believe the Emmys that year, I'm not going back to an award show where I'm not involved in something that I'm not involved in something that is either nominated or there's a reason for me to be there. I said that to them. I said, under no terms, like I will not go period. I will not fast forward to the golden globes many years later. And they're like, Hey, we want you to present at the golden globes. I said, no. And they said, but it, it's you grant and Melissa want you to present at the golden globes. And I said, I don't think you guys heard me. No. And luckily for me, the person that was working in PR, CW at the time, who I said this to after the Emmys was still there. And I'm like, listen, this is not news. And I need you to go to bat for me on this one. She's like, you're going to get a call from Pedowitz. I go, I don't care. You're going to get a call from Peter Roth. Suzanne, what did I say in September of 2014? You said you would never present at an award show again until you were either nominated or involved in something. Yeah. She's like, okay, I'll go to bat for you on this one. And Grant and Melissa did a great job. Nobody missed me. To answer the question about the tuxedo, it was either a boss or an Armani. And 
it was, I, I don't take a lot of time to get ready. I'm very, very lucky. Uh, I can either go very casual or I can wear a suit. And if I wear a suit, it almost always fits me off the rack. But what I do, what I've done on productions, what I did for, um, Jesus Christ, what I did for Knickknack's wedding just a couple of weeks ago in, in Palm Springs is I just go to the wardrobe department and go, can you guys put something together for me? And Oliver, I believe in episode 16 of Arrow, or at least in one of the episodes, uh, had, had worn a tux. So I said to Maya in the wardrobe department, I said, was it Maya at the time? It's always been Maya. It was Maya. I love, shout out to Maya who did, uh, who's head of the wardrobe department on Arrow forever and ever. I love Maya. Uh, I was like, hey, can I take the tux? I'll bring it back. She goes, yeah. So I did. That's it. I don't take too long to get ready. But I do, but, and I don't do any makeup, but I do do anti-shine. There's no, hey, fellas out there, my friend, Julie, our friend, Julie from fuck cancer got, uh, got married a few weeks ago in Montreal. And she's like, Hey, Rob wants to talk to you. Or Rob, Rob was fretting, didn't want to talk to me. He was fretting about something. And I'm like, what? She's like, well, he doesn't know if he should wear makeup for the wedding tomorrow. And I go, yeah, he should. Yeah, he should. She's like, what? I said, tell him to tell them to put anti-shine on him. And if he's got super rosy cheeks, just take the redness out. That's it. No under, no under eye stuff. No, like don't, 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 don't look like you're, don't look like you're, you know, getting ready for your first drag show. Just put a little something on there. And fellas, if you have the opportunity, you should do that as well. This has been a public service announcement. <laughs> um, yeah. And what, so one other interesting thing about the Golden Globes, um, mm -hmm. there's an article where you were obviously interviewed on a red carpet yeah. and a, is it safe to say this was like your, maybe your first big red carpet? Like the biggest, it's it, it, it by far the biggest that I had been now. I had been to an HBO after party for the sure, Emmys. Sure. Um, I had been to the GQ men of the year party and this, the CW upfronts was probably the biggest red carpet that I've been to. Also, yeah, the people's choice was a big one, but this was by far the worst one because I had this PR person with me, you know, cause they sent a car and she or he, I can't remember, didn't have the guts to tell me until I'd said it for them. Hey, like, nobody wants to interview you. And why would they? There's so many people there that they have to interview and they have a finite number amount of yeah. time. It's why I didn't want to go. When I ended up presenting at the Emmys in 2014, I was like, I, I fought that one. I fought too hard. And I looked great during that, by the way, because I had been in Vegas the night before and I got, I got really sick. So <laughs> I was looking pretty good. I was feeling like shit. Uh, but when I went to the Emmys in 2014, I, ref I was like, yeah, I'll go, but I'm not walking the red carpet. And they're like, you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because there is nothing worse than being at a red carpet where they don't want you there. I mean, I got on the green, the red carpet, green carpet. That's, that's a ceremony that my mom does at her school at Branksome Hall called the green carpet. I've gotten to the red carpet of the GQ Man of the Year Awards in, at the Roosevelt Hotel in, in Hollywood in, in 2011. And I was just about to walk down the red carpet and Justin Timberlake showed up 
And they literally brushed us aside like we were vagrants <laughs> and pushed us to the back of the line. It's not a great feeling, Zacho. No, I'm no, not sure. vain, but I, I'm not vain and I'm not prideful, but that doesn't mean that I don't have elements of vanity and pride stowed away somewhere. Everybody does. Of course they, uh, do. they should. The, the interesting quote from you on that red carpet, and I don't know what okay. question was asked, but you said, <laughs> I thought I thought Jim Carrey should have won the Oscar for playing the Grinch. So yeah, that would have been, that would have been a question about acting, and I, I would have always said that like I don't totally understand the nomination process because I always think about degree of difficulty, and I'll say again, like find me another actor that could have embodied the Grinch. When you were watching that, did you think you were watching Jim Carrey? No, of course not. Now, did all of the prosthetics and makeup you know add to that? Great, but show me a better performance than that performance. I've never understood the criteria for for. Uh, I've never understood the criteria, right? If the criteria is a memorable performance, believing that that person is the person, Jim Carrey wasn't nominated for The Grinch. Robert Downey Jr. wasn't nominated for any of the Iron Mans, including and especially Endgame or Infinity War. It's fucking bullshit. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> wow. Okay. We're two <laughs> down. Eight to go. Yeah, right? this fucking pace up. Um, okay. So Tyler Gibbs, what is your, mm -hmm. what, what is your favorite attraction, the thing you like most about Vancouver? So you're pretty new here at this point. The thing you like most about what? You cut out Van Vancouver. Oh, man. I probably would have said seeing the mountains. You know, I'd never lived in a city like that before. And, you know, there was always this, there's always this great shot when you're driving back in the studio. Um, and you start to head north towards, towards Vancouver. And you get that shot of the mountains and they're still snow capped in, you know, whatever time of the year it is. Ugh, so beautiful. Vancouver. I really, I do, I do miss that city. I, I would love to um, eventually get an opportunity to film in you know, a variety of places. I'd love to do another project in Europe and I'd love to get back to actually shooting a project in, wait for it. This is going to fucking blow your mind, Zacho. You ready? Los Angeles, California, whole <laughs> home of the industry. Haven't worked there in 11 fucking years since I, since I did a job in, in LA. Uh, I'd love to work in Austin, but you know, for places that I have been, I'm really enjoying Georgia. I would go back to Vancouver in a heartbeat. Okay. By the way, Taryn's on the line right now. She's trying to contain herself. She's yeah. constantly telling me to fucking book jobs in Vancouver. Like I have a, they, hey, Vancouver always has good reviews. I've never That's been, true. but it's beautiful, fantastic. If you ever want to go, I'll take you. Yeah. When you get back, I'll, I'll go. There we go. Um, okay. Um, from Mary Novak, she mm -hmm. says, "I've noticed that some TV stars will occasionally direct episodes of their shows. Uh, Simon Baker of The Mentalist is one who comes to mind. Is there a chance you might get to direct an episode of Arrow, um, which?" Today, we know the answer that you did not, mm -hmm. um, but Katie Cassidy did, David Ramsey did. I'm sure that the opportunity was was there had you wanted well, you're taking away from you're taking away from my answer right now, <laughs> which is that at the time, I probably would have said too early, too early, too early, too early. I think to I think even, I remember you saying too early. Right. To even consider that and what I would have said in say season four, and what I will say now is that my goal on Arrow was always 
was really, really focused on taking my work and condensing it because there was so much of it so that I could then maximize my time off so that I'm not randomly getting a Wednesday afternoon off. Starting in season five, I, I really, I worked with production to try to get the majority of Mondays off unless there was uh, you know, unless there was an issue. And we did that for a variety of reasons that we don't even need to get into right now. But what I really focused on, I, I couldn't focus on directing while asking for time off because A, I would have had to have an episode off to prep um, ish off or light in order to prep. And then for that ensuing episode, I'm there every second of every day, or it would have had to have been the premiere, which unless I'd, I, I probably could have gotten the premiere in like season seven or season of eight. I, I could have directed on Arrow, but I instead really, really focused on being an advocate for, for, um, for other people. I did that from a directorial standpoint with, I mean, David and Katie both got their, you know, they both got there because of the commitment that they made. Both of them did the WB Directors Workshop, but I stood behind them 100%. And anytime we had a first-time director, be it Katie, David, um, Mark Bunting, our first AD, Ken Shane, our first AD, who, who both got episodes, or my really, really good friend, uh, Sarah Hansen, who was uh, Tad, which is essentially like the lowest AD on the not on the on the pecking order on the pilot all the way to her being our first ad and or our alternating first id in our in our final season i took great pride in advocating for fellow actors and fellow workers moving up the ranks that was my that was my big thing as for heels if we're taking that question forward yeah i might change my tune on that one i might want to direct an episode of heels if i get a chance that would be cool, would be cool. um Okay, so the next question, um, Katrine Zerhow, uh, she asks, how was it to work with John Barrowman? He is known for his pranks on set. Did he play any practical jokes on you and the rest of the cast? So I I was curious uh, about this question. Um, So he had only appeared in four episodes at the the time of this. You you said you you were probably, you know, closer to like 16 filming wise. So mm-hmm. you, you'd been working for him with him, but, but he wasn't like on every episode that season. Was he? Nope. No, so. no. He and I didn't work together until gosh, I don't know. We actually had a scene together where that was cut in a, in a much earlier episode. You know, this is like an evergreen question because people always ask me about John Barrowman pranks. I'm here to tell you, he's never, I've never witnessed John Barrowman play a fucking prank in his entire life ever. It's more indicative of his, of his personality, which is he's, he's always, he's always, he's always fun. He's always uplifting. So I don't know what I would have said at the time, uh, at all. Not really remembering. I do remember that in episode 16, which is right around the time that we were filming when we were doing this, this Q and a, we were shooting a scene at like three in the morning and all of a sudden he broke out this Scottish accent, which is his accent. Like his parents have a Scottish accent, but he speaks in an American accent. He speaks in an American accent and accent all the time until he talks to his parents and they're Scottish. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And we were doing a scene where we were transfusing him with Tommy's blood in order to save his life. 
And when he wakes up, he just starts doing the Scottish accent on camera. It's on the season one gag reel. It's great. But John, not a prankster, just a fun guy. Super fun. Super fun. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is a good one. Yep. Um, from Bridget Shahar. She said, hello, you said you'd like to host SNL. What is your favorite SNL skit? If you could be in a skit with anyone from the cast, past or present, who would it be? Thanks. So I'm curious. I'm sure you have an all-time favorite skit. Everyone does. But I'd be curious to know if, like, in the past 10 years, they've put out something that that has replaced it. God, I can't remember. I wouldn't know what I wanted to say. I don't know what I would have said at the time at all. My favorite sketch might have been like Dick in the Box, which is a which is a digital short. I fucking love Dick in the Box. Um, or Jizz in My Pants. That was, oh my God. <laughs> Jamie Lynn Sigler is just randomly in that. In that. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not, not going to say anymore, actually. Pardon me. Uh, yeah, I still want to host SNL really bad. I, I think that that's, um, you know, that, that needs to be a goal that I keep, um, you know, just because you, you never know. You just got, Zacho, you're always just one cool job away or one show. You know, if heels can hit the cultural zeitgeist, I could host SNL, right? It's, it's that, it's that close. But man, if I had to pick now, I'd want to be in a celebrity jeopardy with Will Ferrell. Now I'd have to, I don't know who I would, uh, do an impersonation of, but if I knew that SNL was something that was getting reasonably close to being a possibility, I mean, more so than it might be now, um, I would immediately start deep diving on what voice can I do? Uh, what impersonation can I do now? That being said, that wouldn't really happen because Will Ferrell would have to be, be there to be Trebek and, you know, may rest in peace. One of the great Canadians of our time. I don't know if they're actually going to continue to do that now that he's passed away. So I'd have to change it up, but not forget the sketch for a second. Any cast member past or present, I, it'd have to be Ferrell. You know, I, I don't know that he's the greatest cast member of all time, but I've had more fun and enjoyment out of him than I have had out of anyone else on the show. It'd be him. Uh, Bill Murray would be way up there for me. Fred Armisen would be way up there for me. Kristen Wiig would be way up there for me. And let me just pick like a random one. Someone super, super random. Oh, come on, Sandler. Well, no, wait a minute. Farley. Farley. I'm sorry. I can't believe I didn't say Farley. Farley might be number one, actually. Yeah, Farley's one. I take Farley as one. You know, working with working on um working on heels with uh with Pete Siegel who directed Farley and Tommy Boy, you know, every once in a while, if, if we have a quiet moment on set or I'm bored or you know, the shot's already set up, uh, I'll just, I'll ask Pete for a, for a Farley story or for a story about when they were filming Tommy Boy or something. And suffice to say, it never disappoints. For sure. Um, okay. So from Kimberly Mike, 
If you had to submit a scene for Emmy consideration from this season so far, any picks? So again, we're talking one through nine at this point. Ah, There might have been something good in episode 14. You know, the Emmy submission scene from that season, which hadn't happened yet, but if, if we're just going to submit something from season one, it's probably going to be when Tommy dies, except that scene was cut down considerably because the cut that was submitted by the director was like an hour and seven minutes because they literally tried to cram everything that they possibly could into that episode. I've never, I have never ever in my life been more disappointed in the cut of an episode versus what I thought we put on screen than I was in, in the, in the finale of the first season of arrow. This is not a criticism of, of anybody, but the episode was so big because what they had actually been doing is they had taken money out of other episodes in order to put it into the, the finale. And because all of the stories were so important and because there was nothing that could just hit the cutting room floor, it ended up being just a truncated version of almost everything. And I had spent two goddamn months learning how to sound convincing in Mandarin so I could say this prayer over Tommy's dead body. And I've never been, you know, at the time, I'd never been more proud of myself in terms of preparation and execution. And it never saw the light of day. And yeah, uh, let's move on. All right. Um, so this is just a, you know, a typical question that you've got a million times back then. If mm-hmm. you were really shipwrecked on an island, what three things would you most want with you? Um, the reason I think this might be interesting is because you spent a lot more time on an island over the mm-hmm. course of, of the next eight years. So maybe your three things would have changed. No, I'm going to switch it up here, Zach. My three things probably would have changed. I might have, I might have tried to answer that question with some validity, but let's let's get real. Here's what I want on that island. I want uh, a really, really nice bottle of whiskey, a well prepared meal, and a gun so I can shoot myself in the head because otherwise I'm going to starve to death. I'm going to starve to death. I'm going to die of uh, of an infected wound or something like that. Like I want to eat well. I want to have a nice glass to drink, and then I want to off myself because I have no survival skills whatsoever. Now, my li- I mean, in actuality, my life is different now. You know, I was newly married, but now now because of because of my kiddo and and my wife and you know responsibilities that I have, I would fight for my life. But I might want to keep a gun in the back pocket. Just I don't want to die a bad death. Because I'm, sure. I'm, I'm almost assuredly going to die. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be morbid, uh, guys. Anyone that's listening to this, I'm just trying to be a realist. I'm uh, abandoned island, uh, deserted islands, uh, even you know, warm and temperate. Uh, you know, I'll give it a go at surviving. I will. Someone's at the door. Terrence's going to laugh at this because it's. I think it's a knocking point delivery. Hang on. Hopefully. If it's a knocking point delivery, <laughs> don't keep, don't, 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 don't cut this out of the pot. No, no good timing. <laughs> um, that that delivery is coming because uh, our friends Reggie and Skip, longtime knocking point customers, friends of uh, of knocking point, friends of us. Um, they want a, uh, well, both of them bid on a charity dinner with me 
um, uh, through 15 Seconds of Fame, or if it's 15 Seconds of Fame, both of them put in a great bid for charity. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm having a bunch of knocking point wine delivered so that we can uh, get them hammered, pretty much. All right. Um, and the last, I guess I have, I have uh, two more questions on here. Okay. Um, so in episode 10 of, mm-hmm. of Arrow, which was burned, um, yeah. that was, that was the episode title. Uh, David Chicarella asked, did, did your work, did you work with real fire and flames on the episode? Um, so this episode was about the fire chief and, yeah. and yeah. uh, yeah. All yeah. No, we did. Chief. We did. You know, and, so, and, um, there were things that we were able to do in the first season of Arrow and, and big, big set pieces that we never got to do again. You know, people thought when they watched the second season of Arrow that we had more money to spend because there seemed to be more scope to the show. It's not true. We had less money. When a show is a hit, they they tighten the reins on you because they're looking to recoup money for all the shows that they commission that don't go anywhere. So your your show actually the the screws get tightened so to speak and that final sequence that we had with all of the fire that was crazy that that day um i got to see a stunt guy go you know the, the full flames you know you know you see someone in a movie and they're fully engulfed in flames i got to see them set that fucker up and and you know execute it and you know they got the watches going because the, the guy's supposed to burn for x amount of time and then they and then they they put him out but you know there's there have to be parts of your skin that are exposed and yet they're so they're covered all with fast it's it's kind of scary. Like it's uncomfortable. Like as you're watching it, if you, you want to make the best television show, but you also want to walk up to the person and go, I don't actually think that you should do this. Like, there's no good way to do it. There are certain stunts that you can do and you're fine. There are certain stunts that, that there's just no good way to do. Getting yourself lit on fire. That's one of them. Now, keeping in mind, he's got a big fireman suit on, right? You see people lit on fire all the time. They're barely wearing anything. There's that. And there's another one that they call a dead man which is you can see it in episode seven of season seven of Arrow where this guy charges at me and I hit him right in the chest and he pancakes back like that. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not from the force of my fist. What that's from is he is harnessed to a, to a cable that is bolted into the floor, a metal cable that is bolted into the floor and his momentum forward is directly correlated to how violently he is going to snap back. So if he has asses it, if he has asses it, if he half asses it forward, he's going to go back just gently. If he guns it, he's whipping back onto the concrete. And there's just no good way to do that. Like there are stunts that people will do multiple times. You design someone burning and someone doing a dead man for it to happen once. And if you have to do it a second time, it's because you really fucked up. And you might not do it a second time. You might change the shot. But yeah, we worked with actual fire. And I remember our guy, Dave, who was doing a lot of the effects at the time, he wore his sort of Letterman style. He had a Letterman style MacGyver jacket from working on the show. And you could tell that 
this jacket was like a prized possession to, to him. And I looked at it and it's just, I said to him, I said, Hey, Dave, because yeah, I go, you only wear that jacket on special days, don't you? And he goes, that's right. So yeah, it works with actual fire. Well, that's interesting. I, because I was going to ask, obviously, you know, in a, in a show like arrow and, and flash and that whole universe, there's probably a lot of time where they had to digitally drop fire into, you know, burning buildings and, and that. Yep. And, yep. But I know that to an extent you want to keep it real um, yep. when, when you can and just, and I know you saw the most recent WrestleMania when yeah. Seth Rollins did his entrance and they hit the flames for him. Uh, you know, that whole lower bowl of, of Jerry's world turned into about like 150 degrees, like no matter how close you were to the, yeah. you know, the stage. So I, I can't imagine that, that sort of stuff like happening for yeah, a 12 hour know, work day. You know, honestly, Zacho, I, I, there are, the industry has changed a lot in, in terms of safety for a variety of reasons. One, because it should have. Two, it's, that process has been accelerated by some some really unfortunate tragedies that have taken place on set. But that day that we had there with all that fire, I don't think that happens anymore. Like, I don't think that that episode after about season two on Arrow gets written. Not because it wasn't a good episode, because it was. But I just don't think people would fuck with that subject matter anymore, personally. Not that it's taboo or not that it's been canceled. Or it's, I mean, there's nothing about that episode that you go back and look at and go, oh, this hasn't aged well. But I just don't think that they risk it anymore. Straight sure. up. I don't. All right. In uh, our final question from Leslie Smith Parrott, she says, you are in great shape physically. Can you tell me what a typical week looks like for you as far as meal, snacks, workouts, and sleep? Um, and so obviously... You know, you just declared on the last podcast that the abs are back. So yeah, they are. I know you've been you've been hitting the the heels gym a lot. How I guess probably how does that compare to season one of two of Arrow versus getting in that shape? Season yeah. One, so two season season one and season two of Arrow were the problem because, and I was talking about this on the podcast with with Zoe and and Hannah the other day is that I created an unrealistic expectation for how I was going to execute this part through the first couple of seasons because I would work 14 hours or whatever days that I was shirtless. That's, you know, two hours plus because of the application of the scars and the tattoos. And I would get home late and I would get up early and I'll, and I'll go to the gym on my own. And sleep was not really a huge consideration. I actually sort of almost took it as a badge of honor if I wasn't getting a ton of sleep and that was burning the candle at both ends and it was not sustainable at all. So on heels, the fundamental difference is that we baked the training in to bake the training into the schedule, you know, when we wrap it and it took, it took a while, but it's, it, it, the process is different. We're not making 23 episodes of television. We're making eight. And this feels closer to closer to feature filmmaking than television. But also I don't think all television is 23 episodes a year of a crazy action show where you have to do a bunch of stuff practically because the guy doesn't have any superpowers. 
right? Uh, on heels, if I wrap at nine o'clock and they say, okay, see you at nine, I, I go, guys, no. What do you mean? Well, you have you considered the gym? And this is this is assuming that we're at the studio and that we're not like way out somewhere. I go, guys, I have to go to the gym. Period. And that's something that I've learned to stick up for myself. Now, I'm, no one on the production is out to get you. They're, they're just trying to get through the work week. But but I've 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 made it be known that that part of my workday is the gym. Period. And if you have a problem with it, then don't put Jack in any wrestling matches. And people get it. And I do that because I got into Oliver Queen shape on my own. And after two years of burning the candle on both ends, I would get crippling anxiety about shirtless scenes because I didn't think that I would be able to match my physique from the first couple of seasons because I didn't have the time, energy, or bandwidth. And they... Because I didn't allow them to or force them to, as the case may be, they didn't have the infrastructure to support me. We couldn't make it through the Arrow schedule if they built in gym time for me. Or maybe I just didn't know to ask for it enough. But, you know, you live and you learn. And those two seasons were incredibly important because it did get better on Arrow, but it was never, you know, it's always difficult to... It's always difficult to, to, to bake something in on the fly as opposed to baking it in and building it from the ground up. You know, if the expectation from the beginning was, hey, Steven's going to have to be in the gym, then they could have made that happen. But once you have the template for how you make 23 episodes of television, um, there's no going back and, and, and building it in, you know? It was never something that they could really prioritize. So that's how it's different on heels. Again, no one, no one's out to get you. No one's bad in this scenario. But it was just, it was just very challenging. Then again, I was also like, you know, I was thirty years old. It was, you know, basically sort of ten years from starting Arrow to starting heels, and you learn a lot along the way. Okay, Zacho, that was a fun exercise. How do you think that went? That was great. I think so too. I think so too. Okay, well, we're gonna end it right there. This has been episode 11 of the Dudes Being Dudes podcast. Thank you to Zacho for coming up with this idea. Let us know what you guys think. And uh, if you're interested in the podcast, you can subscribe on Apple, on Spotify. Thanks to Zacho. Thanks to Taryn. Thanks to our friends at Studio 71. And thanks to Mr. Andrew Harding in absentia, who is up in Walla Walla doing fun stuff. Until next time, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>